What is up, you guys? Welcome back to the Dear Universe, It's Me podcast. If my voice does not sound familiar to you, my name is Jenny Dreyfus, and I am your host. If my voice sounds familiar to you and you are a returning listener, I want to thank you for coming back to the podcast. Wherever you are, whatever time zone you're in, thank you for intentionally pressing play on today's episode. I hope that this next hour or so is a time where you can either lean back and relax or if you're doing something, you can kind of go into a meditative state while you listen to the show today. And I also want to thank everyone who has left a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. This means so much to me and I want to thank you for taking the time to do that. I know that you guys have a choice. You have many choices. When it comes to what podcast you listen to, we are inundated with podcasts, and I thank you for listening to Dear Universe, It's Me. It means the whole world to me, or dare I say, it means the whole universe to me. Also, you guys, if you haven't subscribed, be sure to hit that subscribe button on whatever platform you're listening to. This really means that you get the inside scoop on when an episode is out. You get notified right away. And if you haven't left a rating or a review on this podcast and you're listening on an iPhone or on Apple Podcasts, if you feel inspired to leave a review, I would love that. The more ratings and reviews I get on Apple Podcasts, the more people this podcast gets in front of. And by that, I mean the more people can heal themselves and maybe we can heal the world. I really believe that having these conversations is so important. And if it's impacting you, let me know because that means it's impacting the world and we all need a little bit more kindness and healing right now. We're all stuck at home. We're in quarantine. Maybe forever. Who knows, right? So I want to share one of my favorite reviews with you all because it really regrounds me to the purpose of this podcast. Two words raw and real. Jenny's insane courage to speak about her rock bottom and how she climbed to the top is relatable to everyone. Her journey to become her authentic, sexy self is one that we can all gain inspiration from. Can't stop listening. This review actually gave me goosebumps and made me tear up a little bit because that's my exact intention with this podcast is that if you're listening, you can relate. I've been there. I've hit my rock bottom. And if you're listening and you feel like you're there, guess what? There's good news. When you hit rock bottom, there's only one direction you can go from there, and that is up. So hang in there. Today's episode is all about yoga. Yoga helped me get out of my rock bottom. Yoga was my first true love. So if some of you don't know, I'm actually a yoga teacher. I have my 200-hour certification that I received in February of 2019. I was teaching immediately after that at two different studios. I taught hot vinyasa in about 97 degrees. I taught hot hatha, which is which around 103-104 degrees. And then I subbed at other studios and I subbed for yin a few times, but not very many times. So my big yoga teaching passions are with hatha and vinyasa. And I live here in Arizona now, and hatha is actually not a big thing here. There's a lot of hot yoga um, coming from the Bikram style, and there's a lot of hot flow. So this is a really great podcast, because whether you live in Arizona, or you live in Seattle, or Australia, or Connecticut, wherever you live, this is going to be relatable to you, because yoga is universal. And before I became a yoga teacher, I actually was at my rock bottom. I was in my dark place. I was taking antidepressants to literally function. 
I was not eating. I was not myself. I didn't know who I was. And I chose to go to a Yoga 101 workshop at a brand new studio by my house and walking through those doors knowing no one, knowing nothing about yoga besides taking some Bikram in high school. I was terrified. And I took the Yoga 101 workshop and guess what? The rest is history. After that, I catapulted myself into discovering who I was in moments of non-attachment in the studio. I found freedom on my mat. I became obsessed. I took Casey. Um, she was in episode two. I took her class constantly and I immersed myself in the beautiful world of asana and of yoga and of eight limbs and that inspired me to become a yoga teacher. So my guest today is an amazing human being who lives in the Seattle, Washington area. I met him when I was in teacher training. We talk about that in the episode a little bit, but Jake Grossman is a yoga teacher. He's been teaching for a little bit longer than me. I want to say almost two years. He lives eight limbs. He lives eight limbs. He is an inspiring person in every aspect. He reminds me what it means to be a kind, compassionate, good person. We talk about celebrating your body because in yoga, celebrate what your body is capable of, not what it can't do, right? Our bodies are amazing. We should celebrate that. We talk about what is yoga, where to start if you want to try yoga, if you're curious, and what that journey looks like. We really talk a lot about some yoga is something that you are it's not something that you do it's living it it's living the eight limbs and we talk really heavily and vulnerably about how our journeys have been impacted by yoga you guys he's walked through lots of shadows to get to his light and yoga has been a big catalyst for that yoga is a work in it's not a workout it can be a workout we talk about all of this, so I hope you really enjoy this episode. I cannot wait for you to meet Jake as we dive into the beautiful world of yoga and how it has shaped our journeys. Before we do that, you know we always breathe before we jump into an episode. However, breathing is one of the eight limbs of yoga, pranayama. It's your life force. Pranayama means using your breath to direct and expand the flow of prana in our energy channels. So by practicing pranayama by breathing, we are clearing the obstacles in our body. We are allowing breath and energy, prana, to flow freely. Our breathing is improved, our bodies function better, and we clear and calm the mind. So that is why pranayama is one of the eight limbs. So that being said, let's breathe. Whether you are standing or sitting, you could even be leaning with your back against a wall. That's completely fine. Today, I want you to be aware of your feet, and I want you to plant them firmly on the ground, allowing you to feel grounded. As always, if you're driving, do not do this. Just listen to my voice. <laughs> Wherever you are, with your feet grounded, connecting yourself to the earth, gently start to close your eyes. Take a deep breath in through your nose, and while you do this, scan your entire body up and down from your toes to the crown of your head, and then back down again while you breathe out. So as you exhale, scan your body downward towards the tips of your toes. As you inhale, breathe into your chest so that your belly fills with air. Perhaps you hold this breath at the top. While exhaling through your nose, control the air as it leaves your lungs. Good, beautiful. Do that one more time. Making breathing in and out your only responsibility right now. You have nowhere else to be. Listen to your breath as it goes in and out of your nose. Feel it as it fills your lungs. And then control your breath as your lungs empty on your exhale. 
And that is it. Keeping your feet firmly planted on the ground, gently open your eyes. And you guys, you can do this anytime throughout your day that you need grounding. Just focusing on your breath going in and focusing on your breath going out is a form of meditation. There's no wrong way to meditate. You can only get better at it. So anytime you need grounding, plant your feet, go outside, feel the earth or feel the carpet in your living room, whatever it is, and just focus on your breath. And know by doing that, you are alive, you are well, and you are practicing yoga just by being alive, okay? So without further ado, let's jump into episode six with my friend Jake Grossman talking all about yoga. I'm so excited that you're here. I'm so excited to be here. So this is your second podcast? This is the second yoga-related podcast I've done. I've okay. been in a couple different podcasts here and there. So you're basically an expert at doing this. <laughs> I mean, my my key to it is just to not overthink it. Yeah, absolutely. I was so nervous when I first started doing this because I was I actually my um, first episode I recorded like three or four times because I wanted to get it perfect. And finally, I was like, you know what? This is me. Like, just be yourself. Do what feels natural to you. And yeah, so I'm super stoked to have you. You have such a good voice, number one. Like you're very articulate. You just have a nice deep voice. And I know that from <laughs> taking your yoga classes. But also your journey is really inspiring. And before we jump into it, I want to hear about your day and just ask how you're doing. Because I know times are crazy right now. I actually haven't physically seen you in a long time. I haven't, I haven't even talked to you in forever. I'm so happy you, you agreed to do this with me, actually. I was super overjoyed to, to get the offer to be on your podcast and just to reconnect with you in general. Like you said, it was early on in the year that I last saw you and you had your big move, which I'm really excited for you and everything. But yeah, obviously you had no idea of what this year would entail. None of us did. Um, so yeah, thanks for asking. I'm doing really good. Um, obviously, part of me hurts considering everything that's going on in the world, in our country, and we live in a time where we're always going to see what's happening, or at least some parts of it coming in through our social media and TV and hearing about it everywhere. So that's definitely, you know, I can't ever ignore that going on, people suffering. But in my own life, I would say the quarantine has actually been overall a really good thing because it helped me slow down a little bit. I was kind yes. of, you know, burning the candle at both ends. Totally. Um, so slowing down, I went from teaching maybe 25 yoga classes a week to like five yoga classes and three kind of group workouts a week. 25 a week? That was like my peak at one point. Oh my. So my max was five classes a week. I mean, I was working another job, but to me, five classes, like I was exuding so much energy to help other people that I felt so depleted and my own practice was suffering too. So I guess that's a big part of it. But 25 a week. That's crazy. So did you feel, I mean, going from 25 to five, that's a huge life change. And, and being a yoga teacher is a big part of your identity and who you are. Totally. Yeah. When I started yoga teacher training with Danielle Day at Open Up, um, love her so much. And yeah, that program. Shout, out. shout out so much gratitude. <laughs> um, I actually was living in a van that I had converted into my home at the time. So, you know, I didn't have much else to do other than to teach yoga. Like that was my time to interact with people. That was my like home away from home when I actually didn't really have like a typical home for about a year and a half. So that was a really good recon uh, recontextualization of what work is because mm -hmm. 
every other job I ever had was something I didn't look forward to doing. I looked forward to leaving it. Yes. And we don't know that feeling. Um, yes. But with yoga, it was the first time where I looked forward to my classes so much. I looked forward to being in there and it really doesn't feel like work. It just feels like a meaningful thing that you get to be a part of. So mm -hmm. I, w I went all in and, you know, I was living in a van. I obviously could use the money. Right. So I was just spending that first year, like fully dived in and no regrets on that. I that's will the say way to do it. that's the way to do it. I learned so much. I was also doing, um, you know, being a teacher trainer, like, or a teacher trainer in training, which is a very <laughs> complicated sentence. <laughs> I was learning how to help other yoga teachers who were becoming teachers um, through the Open Up Teacher Training Program as well. So that was where some of my hours went as well. But I will say what I, what happened was I did get some overuse injuries, like mostly my left hip, left lower back area. Um, it was I, the injury happened last November and I actually started growing this beard. I was going to say, you guys can't see what he looks like. Maybe I'll take a snapshot at the end, but yeah, that's totally a nice should. look. Beards are trendy right now. They're making a comeback. I'm really happy about it. <laughs> I always tell people it's growing on me, you know? Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, yeah. So I kind of started this depression beard in, in November out of like, I couldn't, I already was struggling to practice with how often I was teaching. And then with that injury, it really took my practice, you know, it slowed everything down. But just like quarantine, sometimes you have to slow down to build it back up in a new, better way, a more sustainable way, you know? You do. Yeah. And for people who don't know, Jake and I both got our 200-hour yoga teaching certificate from the same school, Open Up Teacher Training. And I met you, I remember it was like week three or four in my teacher training session, which honestly, I thought about giving up at that point a few times because if you're listening and you've gone through yoga teacher training, it's, you would probably agree it's very intense. Yeah, it's there, very are, intense. there are some memes out there that summarize it really well that show people like having breakdowns like week three, week four. Oh, You're going to have oh, a breakdown at some point. <laughs> I had like um, an existential crisis. I was like, what is my purpose? Can I do this? And I am a usually like a very loud person. I'm not afraid of, of I don't have stage fright. But for some reason, teaching yoga just like drilled into the core of who I was and made me really question everything I had, like ahimsa, everything, all of my beliefs and really forces you to think about your lifestyle and what you're doing. And it was a lot and I was working too. But yeah, you came in in the middle of our training session and introduced yourself and helped kind of co-teach that day. And I remember, I remember you for two reasons. One, and I hope this sounds okay. You don't see a lot of male yoga teachers in the industry. So to see a strong, confident male energy teaching yoga was cool because it's a very female dominated industry. I think it can be at least. Mm -hmm. um, and then the second reason was your story was really impactful. And I remember I asked you after, I was like, thank you so much for coming. How did you get interested in yoga? And you told me a little bit of your story. And I think a lot of people who teach yoga or a lot of people who start a yoga practice, they're doing it for really impactful reasons. They want to find themselves. They want to heal. They want to be better stewards of the planet. They just want to be overall better people. So if you're comfortable sharing how you heard of yoga and how your journey to find it, because I think it's really unique. And a lot of people have messaged me and been like, I'm too nervous to try yoga. I'm not flexible. And we'll get into that whole thing. But because obviously, such a small part of yoga is the physical practice, the physical asana. So 
Yeah. How did you, how the heck did yoga get introduced to you? Right. Oh my gosh. It's like, you can trace that back all the way to my birth. I feel like, but, um, basically I've always been since about high school, I've been an athletic person. My first main sport that I really loved was rowing. Um, once I moved, so I, I grew up over in the Midwest, Chicago and Iowa. And in my early years, I did um, some Taekwondo, some swimming and some dance. Those were my main things. So kind of eclectic, kind of across the board. And then I moved here, I was a rower and that really got my confidence up. Uh, I actually grew up very overweight. And so I lost my weight in high school through rowing and, and not just like a body change, but also the mind change of knowing that I'm strong and I can do difficult things and I can grow as a person. That was all really great. That led to me getting recruited to the University of Washington for their rowing team. And I rowed there and that was a great experience. Um, oftentimes people- Go Huskies, go dogs. <laughs> a lot of people will ask, like, what was your major? And I usually say rowing because that's where I spent most of the time and effort. You know, I was a communications major. But after college, um, I would say I went into a depression. At kind of like, you know how in our modern world, you kind of have like a path before you from preschool, kindergarten, all the way to college. And then mm-hmm. at the end of college is like a cliff. <laughs> where you kind of can just, if you're not prepared, you can sort of drive off this cliff and not yep. really know what to do next. I, yep, I got married. I talk about that in episode one. Yeah, and I, actually hearing you say that, it's true. You get done with college and you feel like, okay, well, now now what? <laughs> Who am I? And maybe you had expectations that your degree would get you in an awesome job right out of the gates and then suddenly you're applying and everybody wants five years experience. Yep. You're like, and well, I need ex- I need you to give me experience so I can get experience. Like, I can't, yeah. Like, do I need to um, do the catch me if you can thing and like lie into my way into a I job? Know. Like, what do I got to do? But how I found yoga was luckily um, I had a girlfriend at the time and she was like, you should come to a hot yoga class, which for me, my view of exercise is like blast some death metal, pump some iron, pull on a rowing machine really hard. Mm-hmm. And it. And I also subconsciously was, it was like, I am changing myself into something better, more desirable to women, more cool for among my peers. I need to change me. That was the ultimate thing. Sorry to interrupt. I think that's, I think that's huge. And because the beautiful thing about yoga is you're accepting yourself exactly how you are. Yeah. And society puts these pressures on us and we're talking about, you know, physical exercise and things. Society puts these pressures on men and women to look a certain way, to act a certain way, you know, so you can attract a mate, so you can get married, so you can have kids. It's there's not a lot of physical practices out there that encourage you to just accept who you are, mind, body and soul and nourish that. Mhm. Like it became a treadmill, which is actually a really funny pun and metaphor to use, but it becomes an endless treadmill of pursuing the next thing that you think is going to make you worthy, you know, and that really was my story. So to get more into like my, my dark side or my, my shadow, my pain, the things that I went through. And this is something I actually haven't even told you. And only recently I've really started to own this because if I don't talk about it, no one will. But when I was um, eight, nine and 10 years old, I was molested by an older man, like multiple times, someone who had access to the family kind of thing. And Um, you know, that planted a seed in me of like something in me is broken and I need to, you know, show everybody that I'm a man and that I'm, you know, 
awesome and I can do whatever. And that strategy worked for like a decade or like maybe 14 years or something, but it's not sustainable. You can't live that way because ultimately your whole psyche's MO, its motive is always external validation. Yes. And like, I need to change into something lovable. So around like, you know, post-college, all of my motivational structures start to fall apart. Like that, that no longer is giving me life and energy to pursue that. So I was kind of at this weird crossroads. I was in a relationship that was falling apart slowly, but the biggest blessing was my ex was like, come to this yoga class with me. I did 90 minute hardcore Bikram, like on on the Ave in the U district at uh, district yoga. And it wasn't necessarily the most welcoming studio either, but like, man, I really felt what we were doing, like just straight up, you know, it was totally different. Um, So I I really loved it, but I will say with it, it was a very traditional Bikram studio. So their kind of philosophy was like, if your posture is 99% right, it's still hundred percent wrong. Yeah. And to, to that point, cause I think I did mention Bikram in a few episodes because I, I also, that's how my, that was my introduction to yoga. And I don't talk about that a lot. I was 18, 19 and very lost in life. And I thought I want to lose weight because I want to be skinny because I want to attract people. And I feel like that's what I need to look like. So I went to a Bikram hot yoga class and I remember I was humiliated but I left drenched in sweat feeling like, Oh my God, I feel great. Like, but I felt great because I was sweating. And that to me was like, you're going to lose weight. I didn't feel great because I was like, Oh, I was able to honor my body and and do these things, but it's still yoga. Bikram is still yoga and you still get the experience and the benefits of it, regardless of the style of teaching. So that's really impactful that you felt that. Yeah. Basically, you know, we can separate the Hoffa series, like, the 26 poses that Bikram supposedly put together, they were really taken from his teacher, Ghosh, who had an 84 pose series. And There's a you good know, Netflix documentary on this, actually. Absolutely. Yeah. So the Bikram documentary, you know, not for the faint of heart, but definitely worth watching because it is it does expose the sexual misconduct and assaults that happened. And, and like you said, the toxic culture that really did work its way in there. But luckily... I found a little studio called Get Zen Hot Yoga in, in Bellevue. Oh, that was lo- the first one. Love Get Oh my gosh. I loved I loved your class at Get Zen. You and Jordan. Yeah, anyways, sorry, go on. Jordan Jordan was such a fun person to like share the Sunday mornings with at our Redmond Ridge Get Zen. But um, yeah, Get Zen was the first studio where it they literally have a huge like lit up sign that says love on the side of the yoga hot room and the teachers in there, it's more than just asana. Like they do an amazing, perfect physical practice and how they teach it, but they also go deeper to loving ourselves, accepting ourselves, meditating, being present, um, gr- gratitude, all that stuff. And that really opened my eyes to what yoga could truly be. And then I remember, so at that time, I was also a drug addict because that same struggle I told you about earlier, you know, through my whole life, I couldn't be alone with myself. You have to feel it to heal it. And you, yeah, you have to allow yourself to do that. And by the way, thank you for sharing that. I know that's vulnerable, but you will help people by doing that. I can assure you. I think vulnerability is a superpower because when Absolutely. You, you do that, everybody else can be more open as well. 
they take a deep breath. They're like, oh, I can talk about my trauma too. You're opening the door. And without vulnerability, you don't make room for love. You cannot accept love or or open that portal unless you choose to do something scary and be vulnerable. And I think Brene Brown said it perfectly. She's like, vulnerability is the fear that you could fail or that you will fail, but you're you're okay with that risk because the upside of that would be love. Yeah. And you know, I've, my twenties was a bunch of failures and no regrets. Like everyone has led me to something better. Um, basically, yeah, I was trying to fill a void within me. Uh, and I started using drugs and alcohol and tobacco as like the way that I filled that void, especially if I couldn't get like any other people's, you know, validation or like energy at that time, you know? So I was going down that path and, you know, pretty quickly saw that it wasn't leading anywhere. So um, I started, I became sober and I started going to get Zen hot yoga. And um, I was going like every day. That's the type of person I am. I like to kind mm-hmm. of go all in on stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. And then I found open up teacher training online. And I was just like, man, like, oh, so I should mention, I have been a personal trainer since I was 19 and I'm 20 okay. now. So it was my field of work. Like, And the thing about personal training, I love helping people get fit, but underlying all of it was this, I'm not good enough and I don't want to work out. So I'm paying you to make me do something I don't want to do to look away. So other people will think I look, I'm okay. I'm good enough. Wow. Wow. Yeah. You know, and nothing against personal training because there's always a right way to do it. And there are a lot of personal trainers that literally save lives. Like I truly believe that. Mm -hmm. And I'm still a personal trainer and I still provide that service, but I really make sure that we're in agreement that like, this isn't punishing you. This is celebrating you and leveling you up to like your potential, but you're already good as you are right now. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and if we move from that place, your body is going to have like love vibrations flowing through it rather than hate shame vibrations. And it's going to be a much better outcome in every way. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I completely agree with you. And before we start talking to kind of about what yoga is and destigmatizing the fear around it, because I think there is a lot of fear, I felt it too. What would you say as a yoga teacher is your dharma? And by dharma, I mean, you know what I mean, but for listeners, kind of your purpose, your, yeah, your purpose with being a teacher. I've taken your classes. I love that in Ardish and Drasana. I don't know if you still say this. You have like the love laser gun. I say that every time. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's your, it's the class is welcoming for everybody and everybody. I think that's important. So you teach such, such an impactful class as a teacher, because you teach a lot, even to me five times a week or five times today, you said you taught, right? So today I taught one in-person hot yoga class and it's got all the COVID measures with spacing apart. We can only have five students. I taught an online yoga class. Um, an online personal training session, an in-person training session, and then a, a high school rowing workout. So some of it's yoga, some of it's fitness. But oh yeah, my gosh. Five, yeah. five hours of, of class. And you come home and I'm like, let's talk about yoga on my podcast. Well, here's the thing. I'm the most energetic and social on nights like this where I just oh, did all that. It might seem counterintuitive, but like I kind of like to go hang out with people or have a good chat right after those kind of days. Good. That makes me feel better. (laughs) I wouldn't have agreed if I wouldn't have been ready. I know. So yeah, your dharma with being a teacher. I would say my dharma in life and and, and as a teacher is to, to give the love that I wasn't 
receiving earlier and to say the things I needed to hear earlier in my life, especially as I work with high school kids on the rowing team for one of my other jobs. But then in the yoga room, whether they're 14 years old to like 90 years old, however, no matter the age, we all need reminders of that we are already alive and well. Our life is happening right now. And if you're always waiting to be happy later, that's a, you know, a ever receding horizon. And so I like to try to wake people up to this moment that you're already whole and complete. Celebrate your body with these movements. And it's not uh, like, I don't really like the vibe of some workouts where it's like, we're going to beat ourselves up till we puke. It's like, let's, let's celebrate our body. Let's celebrate the ways we can move. And if your body doesn't want to move a certain way today, that's totally okay. There's a million modifications. It's not about making your body work for the pose. It's about making the pose work for you. You know, mm -hmm. our bodies are very important and honoring them and taking care of them and strengthening them is really important. But saying a yoga class is just for your body is like saying music is just for your ears in my Absolute. opinion. Oh my, that's a great way to say that. That's such a, yeah. When you roll your mat out and you get on your mat, at least for me, and I used to say this in my class, feeling freedom on your mat, feeling non-judgment, being able to explore ways that your body moves, to breathe, to, to feel that you're alive and to be really in tune with yourself without judgment and with a ton of compassion. That mm -hmm. is what's important about it. It's so much more than a workout. Yoga is a work in. Maybe Amen. Danielle told me that I, for some reason that is just like planted in my brain. It's a work in, it's not a work out. So I know that there's a lot of fear for people around going to, to going to a yoga class. And I think that our society and, and Instagram has put fear around it. And for people listening who are kind of at the edge of a chapter in their life, and they know that they're ready to take a step to better themselves and to, to hold space for themselves and to try something new. Maybe it is for exercise. Maybe it's because they, they don't know how to meditate. They want to explore that. Whatever it is, I want to hear how you would define or describe yoga to someone who is nervous or anxious about going to a class. And I know we probably have similar answers and there's so many types of yoga, but how would you describe it? Super great question. And I really believe that like, I want to teach yoga to all people, but like my special people are, they look like me when I was 14 years old and, mm -hmm. and overweight, or they, they feel like me when I was at my lowest point, like if you, like anybody can benefit from yoga and believing that like, Oh, I need to be flexible to do it. You know, these are all barriers to entry that like we should, they're illusions and we should try they, to drop them. Um, I, in Pada Hastasana, I can't even get close to cupping my heels and that is okay. That's perfectly okay. I'm still doing yoga. I have, I have lungs. I have a body. I'm a yogi. That's yeah. all that, but there's so much stigma around needing to be flexible. Well, so here's, here's what I would describe yoga as. And I say this in almost every class, you can come into the studio and lay on your mat in Shavasana the whole hour and you didn't do anything wrong. You did a yoga class. I think yoga is the most important thing about it is it's intention. You're taking an hour out of your day or maybe 90 minutes or maybe less or whatever to set aside distractions to set an intention 
to guide your energy. So much of the time we are letting outside forces determine our energy. You know, something on the TV, the radio, the computer. They all lower your vibration too. They, they have the potential to lower or raise your vibration. You know, you can take in good content as well, but ultimately let's say, let's say you're only taking in like things that seem to raise your vibration. You're still attached to an external thing. And you think I need that thing. Like that was me with, with substances. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't see their dark side initially. And I was like, but even just needing this thing that I, I, I felt like I needed it robbed me of my own power. So whether non- it's non-attachment. Yeah. Like how can we be okay with what is, and that's what meditation is. So there's intention. So like I'm going to choose today what energy I'm welcoming into my life. And at the same time, you're co-creating it. When you make that choice, you're attracting it and it's, it's growing within you at the same time. And then you use your attention. So intention, then attention. Attention is meditation. And I like to tell people you can't meditate incorrectly. You can only get better at meditation. So if you come into the hot room, you're going to leave your phone outside and that's like the key right there. And so huge. Just being with yourself is so important. And just feeling what it's like to be a living, breathing organism with a body and lungs and just, just simplifying everything. If life gets complicated, our yoga practice is there to be very simple. 1000%. I remember I, so my Bikram experience when I was a teenager, I actually want to classify as my first real authentic yoga class. I still not sure why, because it was, but I think I wasn't in the mindset to, to go into it, to receive what I needed to receive and to kind of blur Pratyahara, right? Like focus on what I was doing. And when I went to the yoga studio in Monroe that I taught at, Right after my divorce, my first yoga class was with my friend Casey, who really was the catalyst for me to become a teacher. I took her Hatha class, and we should describe what Hatha is because in Arizona, by the way, Hatha does not exist. No way. Is it all vinyasa? (laughs) It's all, they don't even call it vinyasa here. It's mostly hot flow and hot yoga, which is a lot of times Bikram. It's so crazy. So we'll have to describe Hatha, but I went to her Hatha class like, four or five times a week. And it changed my life completely because she allowed space for me to be in child's pose the whole time. If I was feeling too hot or if I was having a bad day, I think I cried in her class a few times. She would, you know, say, you know, in a Dandemana Janir Sirsasana, you know, bring your knee up to hip height, flex your toes to your nose. She would always say, and I hope I said that pose right. I haven't taught in so long. It's crazy. But she would say, you can, you can stay here. You don't need to go further in this pose. You're, you're, what you're doing is correct. And I did not feel pressure to hurt my body to go further. I honored it. And yeah, her class was incredible. I'm a huge believer in that philosophy as well. I always say, you know, going further option for this. And we were taught Danielle day did a wonderful job of instilling that in us. I think it has so many benefits. Number one, you're not pushing people to hurt themselves. You're not pushing people to a place of shame. And the other thing I learned as a personal trainer is if you are always forcing someone to do something, they're not gaining motivational power because they need you to tell them what to do. So instead in a yoga class, it, I will just, you know, let them, they can hold part one and they know, they all know they could be in a Shavasana or child's pose the whole time. Everything is your choice. And 
when you make the choice yourself, you gain the motivational power by doing that. So mm-hmm. rather than the drill sergeant approach, I'm just could not believe in that approach less, <laughs> you know? I know, I know. And that's how we were taught as teachers to teach is to hold space for everyone, you know? And um, I mean, I remember I used to put my class in plank pose and of course, always an option to drop your knees. And I would say, think of three things you're grateful for right now. And then you can hoist your hips and we'll meet in downward facing dog because that's really another benefit of yoga is being grateful and practicing gratitude. And so on the emotional healing side of the practice, I mean, I would say yoga is my first love. It changed my life. It helped me heal because it put me in that place of not having my phone and you're one with yourself on a mat in a hot room and you're with your thoughts. Yep. And And I think I will also say that the other ingredient is the other people because it is totally great to do a private yoga practice and that has its own benefits. You can go really deep into yourself. But I think one thing the modern culture kind of lacks is community. I think religions, I have a lot of respect for religions and religious texts and beliefs, um, but sometimes they become institutions that people kind of see through in the modern age and they're like, I can't get behind this. And I totally get that. But now people don't really have a congregation anymore. And that's what I love about yoga. It's a non-denominational spiritual gathering where it's just so open to whatever you want to make it. Like everybody around you coming in with that same intention to heal, to celebrate your body, like that is very contagious. And I think that's like a missing element in or like that's another ingredient that needs to be mentioned. Absolutely. Actually, that was, I'm looking at my notes. That was my next question was community and religion, because some people might look at yoga and think, is it religious? And it's, it's a non-denominational spiritual practice. Everyone is like-minded usually, and it's a community. Every yoga studio I taught at and every yoga studio I practiced at, you feel the beautiful, supportive energy of the people around you and the yogis in the room and whatever could be happening in the outside world, you know, um, politically, whether you had a bad day, you come into a yoga studio and you instantly feel supported and loved and cared for. And you're there to do that to yourself too. Um, And, you know, the biggest thing that would intimidate me for those listening, if you're still feeling a little intimidated was I was always afraid in a yoga class that everyone was going to look at me. Like if I was doing something wrong, everyone would be staring at me because usually there's a mirror, you can see other people in the room. And the biggest thing is that everyone's just focused on themselves. And that's the beautiful part about it too. Yep. Like not only for drishti point reasons, your drishti is your focal point that helps you balance. You know, you don't want to be looking around the room especially in a balancing pose, you're going to fall out of it. Number two, some studios keep a dim lighting. Some prefer brighter. I like to have that middle ground, like a little bit dim where you can basically only see your own self in the mirror or your own silhouette. And really everybody is in the sacred four corners of their own mat. Everybody, no one's looking around. And if someone does look around, it's usually in a, a beautiful moment. I've noticed, you know, like someone's like, having a breakthrough in a pose and might be like, whoa, like, you know, it's kind of rare, but sometimes it happens and you get like, smart. <laughs> I've had some weird, I've had some weird things happen in class. <laughs> I had one guy like do it. He was totally new. It was his first ever yoga class. 
I said auction for a tripod headstand. This dude just pops up. I'm like, whoa, like he's in his first, like first class. He does a tripod headstand. He like timber, he fell right over oh, before God. I could get over. But he was so like quick to like getting back to his mat. He was totally fine. And, you know, I don't think anybody was phased at all or shot him any sort of looks. Like as long as you're okay, everybody's good. Like it's mm-hmm. just that, that caring atmosphere. Like the only reason people will look at you is just to make sure you're still doing good. <laughs> you yes. Know? And you did a great job because you said option for tripod headstand. You always created an option. That's that's the beautiful part of a yoga class is stay here or go further, stay or play. You know, mm-hmm. it's nothing's required. You could be on your mat the whole time lying on your back. And like you said, you're doing yoga and teachers, you know, I, at least the way we were taught, it is not the class is not about the teacher. The class is not about what the teacher can do, the teacher's cool tricks, the teacher's cool music. The class is about you as the student and holding space for them. And so if there's any fear around yoga teachers um, coming over to you to force you to do a pose, I think a yoga teacher that really practices a limbs, the class is about the students, 100%. That's a misconception too, I think that can you know ego is not your amigo i love i love i love saying that because it's true sure you need you need some ego to exist in your life so you can do things like stand up for yourself and hold your own but having being a yogi with a lot of ego to me generally seem i don't see that exist too much so that's yeah. another thing that i love about it and I want to talk a little bit about the eight limbs. Obviously, there's so much. There's the sutras, but the non-physical aspect of yoga. And we'll get into the Instagram questions after this because a lot of them were around how hard the physical aspect can be or seeing people doing forearm stands on their Instagram all the time and thinking like, oh, my God, that's yoga. I can't do that. Mm. So they're obviously the eight limbs. I didn't know if you wanted to explain it. You can probably explain it better than I can, but essentially they are, I don't want to use their word rules, but it, it is kind of rules or tools to help you live a healthy, balanced lifestyle, things that you should abide by. Right? Absolutely. And these can be traced back over 3000 years. The first yoga sutras were written by Patanjali and, um, You know, I love the first yoga sutra, which simply says yoga is the cessation of fluctuations of the mind. That is what yoga is all about. Did he say anything about body pose? Nothing. It's about we have fluctuations in our mind. Sometimes we fluctuate down into depression or anxiety or self-hatred. Also, and, and we know those are bad. But the upward fluctuations of joy and success or whatever it might be. Those are amazing and we should enjoy them while they're there. But if we attach to them, like I attached, you know, to drug highs and stuff as well, we're inevitably setting ourselves up for the, the downturn. And so in, in yoga, you know, meditation is one of the eight limbs and um, sensory deprivation, like getting ourselves out of the information stream. You know, remember yoga was made all those years ago when there was less information a lot less going through one person's brain at a time, at least. They didn't have Twitter. They didn't have, they didn't have IG or Facebook. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And so if they needed that, because, because all the people that start any spiritual path, they, it starts from a place of pain. If they were already feeling great, they wouldn't pursue a spiritual path in my opinion. 
That's um, huge, Jake. Yeah. People who start a spiritual path start from a place of pain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, it's not even a bad thing. It's, it's a reality of life. And the same is true in like Buddhist philosophies as well. And so, you know, these people thousands of years ago had suffering in their life, uh, in their mind, and they wanted a system, a way to navigate through that. And that's what yoga is. It's a system for navigating through the inevitable suffering of life so that we can learn when to let, how to let go of the past, how to let go of trying to control the future too much and how to get into the present moment and our body and our mind. We often think of them as separate entities, but they really are connected. And I think the quickest way to connect those things so yoga actually means connection, right? To yoga, to connect, to unite. We connect our body, our mind, and our spirit through breath, through intention, attention, all these, all these things. It's just, it's just a way in. Like the, the postures are just a way into deeper into yourself, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you so, said that so well. Thank you. Yeah. So there's, you know, there's the yamas and the niyamas, the things yeah. that we should do and the things that we should avoid doing. And, and, and examples of the yamas, like I've mentioned ahimsa a few times. So nonviolence and a lot of people, like, I think you're plant-based, right? Correct. Plant-based Jake is your, yeah. Plant-based <laughs> so, underscore Jake on Instagram. <laughs> yes. I'll put you in the description and I'll have you mention your stuff before we wrap up. But yeah, ahimsa is an, is an example of one of the five yamas. So even now with COVID, you know, I thinking about studios that are um, you know, maybe during the quarantine, they were sneaking students in to make revenue. I almost would see that as a violation of ahimsa, right? Like mm-hmm. just being a good person, practicing nonviolence, um, asteya, non-stealing. Uh, I mean, these are all just things that are grounded in being kind and being a good person. Mm-hmm. That's really what I think of, right? And I think we could look at it like, the difference between the yoga sutras and the eight limbs and like another religious text per se is that in, in the Torah, in the Bible, in the Quran, in all the, the Bhagavad Gita, I can't pronounce it. <laughs> um, but basically there's all these things that people could generally agree on, but then there's sometimes other things that are a bit more like external from our typical lives. Maybe they're a bit heady. Maybe they're just like, I don't know what, how that applies to me. None of that is in yoga. It's, it's like a, it's a user's manual for having a body, a mind and a spirit, I think. Mm-hmm. And these were all reverse engineered. So who are the first yogis? How did they find this? They didn't say that God came down from a mountain and gave them this information, not hating on that. I, I'm, I'm Jewish. I grew up with that tradition, but they, went inward and reverse engineered, like what's going on, you know, with my body, my mind and my spirit, they practiced, they tried different things and they learned, like they followed their, uh, their instincts and what their soul was leading them to. And then that, that's what I always want people to know is like, try it for yourself and don't believe what I'm saying. Just like trust yourself the most. And you make the call. If like yoga is resonating with you or anything in life, is resonating with you, you know? Yeah, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. And I hope that people listening, if, if you are thinking of trying yoga, I hope that you do. And that, you know, that again, I've said this before, but just by having breath and being alive, you are already doing yoga, 
right? So oh, sure, adva- advanced asanas and asana meaning the physical part, advanced postures are, are a part of it. And it allows you to go deeper into that connection with your mind, body and spirit. Um, pranayama, I know before I start each episode in my intro, we breathe together. That is a part of yoga pranayama breath, your life force. So anyways, all of those eight limbs, I just think are important to mention because it is a huge part of being a yogi and just a big part of the practice that goes outside of looking cool because you're upside down. Being upside down is awesome. It's, you know, I'm not sure I could do it anymore. It's been so long, but I want to just emphasize it because I can, I feel, you know, through your guys' questions, you wanting to try yoga and I just want you to so bad because it's helped me and it's helped Jake's life too. And um, if you are in the Seattle area, Jake, where can they take your classes or find you on Instagram and or Facebook if you use that? Sure. So on Facebook, you can find me at Jake Grossman Yoga. And I'm pretty friendly. So if you just want to add me, Jake Grossman in person. Super friendly. You're a nice little cancer. You're a cancer, right? I am. Yep. <laughs> and you are. No, you're a Leo. Uh, I'm a Leo. Yep. yep. I, That's I me. <laughs> um <laughs> And then you can find me on Instagram, plant-based underscore Jake. And right now I'm teaching um, four classes a week at Get Zen Redmond Ridge. And that's a really cool studio. And I will say it sort of like, it's a little bit of a hidden gem still. So you're going to get into a class. You're you're only going to have four other students and then me in there with you. We give everybody plenty of space, like eight plus feet of space. And uh, just to keep everything super safe. But um, that is where you can find me Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, 6 a.m. Hatha. And tomorrow, Saturday, I'll do a 10.30 a.m. Hatha. Um, 6 a.m. or 6 a.m. yogis are dedicated. They are hardcore. It was, That used to be my one of my favorite time slots to teach, actually. <laughs> it's definitely mine. I've been a morning person since the rowing team at UW. We kind of got in that habit. And that's when I like started really loving the morning times because... Uh, no one else is up and you can have this slower start to your day and start with a bit more intention rather than I used to kind of wake up and just be in a rush until I like got home and passed out. Um, a couple things to tie up some loose ends. Cause as any good conversation goes, we're, we're like, going I know up. I'm like taking notes on my phone. I'm like, we have to loop back around. <laughs> we gotta back to what is Hatha? Yes, that was my next question because you just mentioned it because there's so many different styles of yoga. So in Arizona, you see hot flow, which is vinyasa, flow-based yoga. You have hatha, which Jake will describe. You have yin yoga. Um, There's yoga nidra, so many different types. So hatha really is sun and moon, masculine and feminine energy. And describe how you teach it, your understanding of it, and why you think it's so impactful. Sure. Yeah. So I will say I teach all the types of yoga, but I definitely teach Hatha the most. And um, I think that is by choice. Like I do think Hatha is the one practice I couldn't live without, you know, Um, hot and thaw, sun and moon. Like you said, it's about finding balance. And not only will we balance a lot in this class, like on one leg and, you know, doing cool balancing postures, but it's about balancing the yin and yang. So the masculine and feminine, basically, I think our culture has a surplus of yang energy, masculine, uh, go get it it energy, like, you know, use strength. I think capitalism is generally a yang system. And then I think yin energy is more feminine. It's more about, so for example, 
Hoffa is we do the pose with 100% effort and then we find 100% stillness after each posture and we just meditate on the breath for maybe 10 seconds, you know. Tadasana. Time kind of stops in Tadasana, I think. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, It's the reminder that like if you're always chasing something in life, you're never going to enjoy what you have and you're going to chase it all the way to the grave and then look back on your deathbed being like, I never appreciated what I had. Yeah. And, and to call that feminine energy, like I I do think women have a knack for that. And I think all people have feminine energy. All people have masculine energy. I know so many like super fierce young women out there and some yin. I consider myself a yinly man. (laughs) Mm-hmm. <laughs> which which is okay I would consider myself a very young <laughs> woman right and you there's a balance and Tadasana is one of my favorite parts about Hatha also just the invitation for modifications and the friendliness that you feel in a Hatha class too and it's heated correct it's heated and that ours is usually about 108 degrees and to go further with Hatha, it is tech, usually a 26 pose series, um, just like Bikram was. But I like Hatha because it leaves more room for uh, interpretation or a change in the class. Like I've taken some Hatha classes where we, it was not not resembling the 26 pose series at all. So that's cool. Um, and I think just generally my big message with Hatha is it's not chasing an external goal. It's more about having an experience and and it's my favorite way to meditate because for us modern people sitting down, sitting still and closing our eyes for 10 minutes is one of the hardest things you can ask us to do. It sucks. (laughs) It's 2020. We have, we could be, we could be doing so many different things, but that's the point is we need to go inward. (laughs) I think that's why we see epidemics of depression and anxiety and all sorts of things is we're, we're disconnected from ourselves because how is a biological creature like a human supposed to choose looking inward as opposed to looking out at the all the crazy stuff on the TV and the internet? Like, I totally get that, you know? We're, we're set up for failure in a way and we can take our power back. And I think yoga is one of the best ways because it kind of does like a couple birds with one stone. You know, we, we get our fitness for the day. We associate all those endorphins. We get to see people. So for me, yoga was like the way I found friends outside of like a drug and alcohol based friendship circle, you know? And that was so important for me. That's like life changing, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's like-minded individuals. And a big thing is, you know, the drinking culture right now or even the hookup culture that I'm unfortunately experiencing trying to date on Tinder and things like that. No one is going inward and learning how to take care of themselves. And so externally, we don't treat people well, or we do things that are not in alignment or on our path. I love talking about alignment and being on the right path. And you can feel when you're not, you can feel when you've strayed from the path. So to hear you talk about how yoga has helped you get on your path, and would you say that you're fulfilling your life purpose by teaching yoga and being a practicer of yoga, a yogi? I believe I'm fulfilling my life purpose by taking every breath and being myself. And anything I choose to do going forward from that is icing on the cake. I will say yoga is definitely part of my dharma, especially right now. And I don't think I'll ever not be teaching like at least one class a week, you know, for the rest of my life. I don't want to retire. But 
I do have plans to move into like a therapeutic direction. I want to go back to school and become a therapist. And I think yoga is going to be key in my modality that I want to create or, or work with because we're talking a lot about integration, right? Eight limbs. That's what's so cool about yoga, mind, body, and spirit. Our Western culture has achieved a lot of cool things with our scientific approach of like divide everything up into its schools of thought, distill it to the strongest drug we can create and then boom. But the problem with that is like psychiatry, therapists, they're, they're only helping one part of the person They're And they're, if they could also get into the body and get some movement and energy flowing, and then maybe have a nutritionist on the team. Like I, I would love to someday work in like a holistic health center where that has like a massage therapist, nutritionist, Reiki, um, like normal therapists, yoga teachers, all of that working together to nurture a whole being, you know? Oh, the world needs so much more. We need more people like you. It's so, I feel like you're a rarity, which is, which is sad. Um, I mean, I hope you're not. I mean, I've been quarantined since March, so I, I don't know that I've shared this with you. So I've worked for nonprofits for the last eight or nine years. And the nonprofit I work for now here in Phoenix, um, we are in the cancer sector. And we do yoga classes and art classes and have cooking classes. And everything we do is around emotional well-being for people going through trauma and cancer. So just what you're talking about, how it's a holistic approach it absolutely is. And we see yoga and we do Reiki and we see that change people's lives because when you heal from the inside out, big, big shifts happen, big things happen. So I, I'm so happy you're here. You've said some really impactful things and I want to answer some of these Instagram questions. There's a lot of them, but we'll play it by ear. So one of them was, is yoga a religion? I think we answered that. <laughs> right. It's totally non-denominational. It's more of like a philosophical system. And I recommend that people take with them what resonates and, you know, go from there. Make your own religion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. The religion of kindness and love yeah. and peace with yourself. Um, benefits of yoga. That's a broad question. There's emotional physical, spiritual. I mean, I feel like we've kind of covered the benefits of yoga, right? It's just being a better person, being more connected to who you are. Yeah. And I would say one thing I want to add to that is you said um, you earlier, you said you can feel when you're not on your path. And I would say also some people can't feel if they're not on their path because they don't take any time to feel. And it could be from the way they were raised or all the stressors put upon them. Um, like I don't believe in blaming people for, not being, you know, their best self. There's a lot of factors that go into it, but when any person decides to take their power back, what yoga is allowing them to do is to feel everything and you have to feel to heal. And then it's going to prop like, that's why we say I'm processing this. It's a process and you have to open yourself up to that, you know, and Mm -hmm. that's what yoga does from an emotional healing standpoint is like when I'm in Shavasana, like, if I just took a great class and I'm in Shavasana, like stuff is going to come out if it needs to come out. Maybe I shed a couple tears, like that's energy moving and I feel it. And now I'm being healed through that process. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a compassionate way to look at that. And I'm going to challenge myself to think about things in a more compassionate way where if, if someone is off the path, 
Maybe it's because there's factors in their life that aren't allowing them to feel. They can't feel that they're off off of the path. And if someone is choosing to do something to better themselves, that's positive and approaching that with compassion. Yeah, that's definitely something. Well, I often ask myself, why did I have to go through, you know, sexual abuse and addiction and basically homelessness? Like, why did I have to go through that? And I realize now it's because you kind of have to, you have to kind of hit your rock bottom sometimes in order to like crack open your soul. Like you have to let the external armor that you've been putting on, you have to take off that armor at some point. For, mm-hmm. for men, that's definitely a thing in our society. And for women, I know it's also a thing, you know, always caring about the external appearances. And I, one thing that I was taught by Danielle Day, our mutual teacher, is everyone's just trying not to suffer. And if yeah. the way that they're trying to not suffer is suboptimal, that's probably because they don't know a better way. Yes. Everyone is all living beings. All, everything that's alive is just trying not to suffer. That's it. Yeah, she said that during our teacher training too. And God, that's so impactful. So if someone treats you poorly or lashes out at you, it's they're not. They're just trying not to suffer themselves. They're that's a protection mechanism. Yeah, that, that's a powerful statement. That doesn't mean you have to uh, rich like move back your own boundary. Like definitely stay firm in your boundaries and don't let people walk all over you out of a compassionate mindset. Um, but it does help you not lose faith in all humanity, which right nowadays it's so important. Like if you see people online saying stuff, like I know every day I feel the same way. I'm angry sometimes at what's going on online, these wars, culture wars, but everybody is just, they kind of got into a mindset and they're just acting that out. And I think, you know, if we can, the only way out of that is, is just inner work, you know, mm-hmm. and yoga mm-hmm. gives you a, a great space to do that while you're also going to get the benefits of feeling great physically and interacting with people and all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. Leading with compassion. We need that right now. Amen. So the next question, she said, I feel like whenever I'm doing yoga, I'm being judged because it's hard and I have to stop a lot. And your guys' experience is this normal. And how do you combat this feeling? Mm, great question. Ooh. Um, ooh, I'll let you take that one first. I would say, first of all, if you find a yoga studio where you really do feel like you're being judged, you know, maybe you're at the wrong studio, but we're not saying that our yoga philosophy is how all studios and all teachers teach. You generally could be in a studio where maybe you'd be better off somewhere else because they are judgy assholes. That could be the case, but it exists. I've it seen exists. it. But let's say you're in my yoga class <laughs> where I have this philosophy you've been hearing about. I see every day people stop, people fall out of poses. I fall out of poses all the time. And it's kind of like Eleanor Roosevelt had a great quote. And this goes back to like the looking at each other on the map thing. Um, you wouldn't care about what other people thought of you if you realized how little they do. Mm-hmm. everyone's caught up in their own shit. Pardon my French. Everyone's caught up in their own drama. And, you know, that's a way, once you realize that sort of reciprocal nature of judgment, it's actually a path to freedom and it's super healing. I used to struggle with that so much of feeling judged um, all the time based off my weight and like everything that I talked about earlier. And then 
But I also noticed I was starting to judge people more too. Um, you know, we all, we all do that. And once I realized like, you know, no one, everyone's on your side, like assume everyone's on your side. And then if people give you a genuine reason to believe otherwise, you know, you can kick them to the curb as compassionately as possible. Like that's my philosophy. And that has unlocked all the social doors for me. Like, you know, go into every situation, assuming you're not being judged, you're going to be radiating that energy as well. Like, yeah, if I see a student stopping, I'm like, thank you for honoring your body and not like yeah, yeah. pushing beyond yeah. what you're supposed to do, you know? Yes. If you feel pain, stop what you're doing. I remember I felt the fear of being judged a lot when I first started going. And what helped me was having a friend in the class. Definitely. And this, yeah. I And for me, that was huge because I had a person next to me who made me feel comfortable. I'm, I am a big energy person. I'm an extrovert being around people makes me more comfortable. I would much rather, for example, this podcast doing solo episodes is not as fun for me. I would much rather have the energy of a person. So going to my first few yoga classes, having someone in there that I trusted and that I knew was doing it with me helped me a ton. And then I think eventually through the practice of yoga, you just learn to create space for yourself and grow that practice of non-judgment. But also, I mean, we could say it till the cows come home that, you know, no one's looking at you. And you're if you feel like you're being judged, try a different studio, but it has to come from within. And you have to feel like you, you want to be there. You want to try new things. You want to try a new pose. And if that's a hard question. And I think we've all been, I think we've all experienced that truthfully as new students to yoga, but I'm happy she asked that. Totally. Um, and also, you know, my favorite, like, I don't really have favorite students, you know, like someone who can do the best poses in a way, it's almost like they don't need us teachers as much. Right. So it's like, no one is thinking anyone's better or worse. Like we're just no. happy you're there, you know? Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, this next question comes from my friend, Katie. What do you, what do most people not know about the practice or community of yoga? That it's a community. I think mm -hmm. we talked about that. I don't think most people know in Western culture that yoga is really a community. It is not showy. It's accepting. Um, my friend Casey, who I've mentioned, she's my friend because of yoga. Her and her, her and her boyfriend, Tyler are like my best friends. And I would not have met them if it wasn't for the community of yoga. So I don't know if there's anything that you want to add to what people might not know about yoga or the community, but in that community that you just mentioned are the widest variety of people I've met wider than a variety than at the gyms that I've worked at. Like, you know, the common thing, I'm not flexible enough to do yoga. Like, there's one class I go to all the time where there's a gentleman who I think he has, you know, some sort of arthritis, like he's, he's pretty restricted in his mobility and he's still there doing the, like his, the poses in his way. And he's, you know, he's part of that community too. And nobody judges him. Everyone's glad he's there. So, you know, it, it's just people coming together to just do something really simple, breathe, move, set intentions and, yeah, you're like, you're not going to get judged. And I really recommend you try it. And I think bringing a friend is like absolutely one of the best recommendations to get the to break the ice, you know? 
Mm-hmm. I also want to say, I don't think this is talked about enough, straps and blocks for days. <laughs> Honestly, there has been so many studios I go to where I feel nervous to use a strap or a block to help me modify. You know, if I can't reach the floor or something hurts, so if you've had an injury, straps and blocks for days. I think they are so beneficial. There is zero shame in using a strap or a block. So I think that's something that most people wouldn't think either. Don't hurt yourself. Use something that'll help you and ask your teacher too. Cause a lot of times studios will have those things. Yeah. Um, okay. A couple more. I know yoga helps the body, but I don't like it. And I get frustrated when I try it. Any advice? So if you, it could be that the frustration is coming from like an expectation of what you know yes. you're supposed to be doing. Like, and the problem is, uh, we are kind of programmed to think of anything physical as like competitive. You know, we grew up watching sports. Like, I was, I was a rower. We would race each other. Like, and that's where you know some of that like toxic masculine energy comes into the picture as well. And. I'm a really big believer that like why I chose yoga over every other type of fitness thing I could be doing with my life is because it's not competitive. It's cooperative. It's synergistic with each other's energy. And so, you know, the breakthroughs you can have in yoga can literally be in your child's pose. Like the simplest postures first start to go inward in those and see where scan your body. Where can you let go? Where can you go deeper? And instead of just trying to start putting your foot behind your head right out of the gates, like remember that it's not about the destination. It's a journey. So just be mm-hmm. present through that journey, you know? Mm-hmm. Yep. Well said. I would say the exact same thing. Um, okay. The last thing resources for people who are quarantining right now. So we are in a pandemic. So obviously you cannot you maybe in some states, depending on where you are, safely go to a studio and practice. So books, YouTube channels where folks can find resources to begin to explore yoga. I think right now in quarantine, there's a lot of big mental shifts happening. And now it would, is a great time. After we get off this podcast, I'm going to go do yin yoga. And you guys, I just go on YouTube and look up yin yoga. And yin is actually what I... I don't know if I recommend it for your first time doing yoga, but if you're looking for a very submissive, calm practice that allows you to relax and go inward, YouTube yin yoga. You don't even need a mat if you have a bolster or pillows or blankets, even better. But I don't know if you know of any specific books or YouTube channels. Obviously, through our teacher training, we got a bunch of books, but... Yeah. So I would say I never recommend books anymore because I know modern people. <laughs> it's not, it's not worth it. Uh, yeah. you know, the odds of someone actually getting the book and then reading it, like, and I'm talking about myself too. You know, I love reading, but we're busy people sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, for one thing, if you have heard, you know, what I had to say, and if that resonated with you, like I want, my goal is to be the teacher that brings in the person who's scared to do yoga. That's absolutely my main goal. Well, all of my zoom classes I taught during COVID so far are on YouTube for free. So if you just go to YouTube and search, get Zen hot yoga for free is every zoom class we've done since COVID started. And, you know, they're not live so anymore. They're in the past. So that's why we're, we have them free. It is, you do have to pay if you want to be there live, right? So you can go on there and all the Get Zen teachers are on there. And if you look for any class that says Jake, you can find Hatha, Vinyasa, and Yin. 
of me teaching. If you would like to try the Open Up Signature Series classes that you and I learned at Open Up Teacher Training, you could YouTube search Open Up Yoga Teacher Training Signature Hatha Flow or Signature Power or Signature Vinyasa Flow, and you can learn how our teacher taught us. Um, and then I would say going from there, there starts to be more niche options. You can find yogis who are going to show you the flashier stuff like handstands on Instagram or YouTube. You can find more yin focused ones. You can find some that are more like physical therapy based, which are really helpful as well. So I would say go down that rabbit hole and, and explore and keep an open mind, but also trust yourself if you're not resonating with some content. Cause yeah, there's going to be some flashy showy people and stuff. And like what we said earlier, those people are like acting out some sort of like, you know, thing within them, like to want to be seen. And, mm -hmm. and like that also might inspire someone else to try yoga because that's like, they mashed up with that frequency. And then maybe through the back door, they learn about self-love. So you never know what I, I used to be a lot more firmly grounded in like knowing what's good and what's bad. And now I'm like a lot more ambiguous and I just know like, my try to try to know my own dharma as best I can you know mm -hmm. yeah and just being open to, to trying something new and seeing how it feels too especially since we're all home right now and obviously you'll probably gravitate towards a style so I I am not pitta I don't know what your Ayur ayurvedic dosha is but I'm very uh -huh. vata and kappa and so like vinyasa flows in a hot room for me are not I loved teaching vinyasa but it's not like my jam as a yogi right I love yin and Hatha. So, but if you have a lot of fire in you, then you might find that you love the practice of vinyasa and flowing with your breath and having a little bit more of that cardiovascular exercise. So there's something for everyone. And honestly, yoga nidra, I also don't do enough. Yeah. That's basically like guided meditations and sleep, sleep yoga. Like you can listen to it uh, before you go to sleep or any time of day as a meditation. And it's uh, a journey of awareness throughout your body and it's absolutely blissful. So I highly recommend it. Freaking. I don't even think you move a lot. in <laughs> It's amazing. Yeah. yeah. You don't move. You're exploring like through your body without moving, like, you know, sending your awareness to each part. It's, it's really cool. Yeah. yeah. Well, Jake, I know we've been talking for an hour and I want to, <laughs> I know I want to thank you so much. I will link all of your info and the YouTube link in the description. Um, but is there anything else you want to say at all? I mean, we've cut, this has been so enlightful for me and I've loved this so much. I didn't even take one sip of my wine. <laughs> for myself. I didn't even but, know you had that. Yeah. <laughs> Well, know, thanks exciting. so much for having me on. Thanks so much for reaching out. I'm really honored that that you wanted me on this podcast. It's super fun. I'm always happy to talk about yoga. I really believe in it with all my heart and it it's healed me so much just like it has for you. I would say my message to everybody out there is just remember you're alive and well right now. You're on this journey of life. Don't worry about the destination. Just take in what you have right now and when we tune into that gratitude frequency, it turns what we have into enough. We can start to see all the good that is already in our lives and all the good that you already are. You're a whole and complete being. The idea that you need to do something ab above and beyond yourself in order to be worthy of love is just an illusion. And if you want a practice 
that is where the rubber meets the road of spirituality of every day integrating that truth. For me, that's yoga. So I really hope you try it out. Oh, gosh, that's so amazing. Yeah, thank you so much. And you guys send Jake a DM, slide into his DMs <laughs> if you have questions. And of course, you can always come to me too. We are here for you. And I always end up pod. Actually, this is going to be a good point. I always end a podcast by saying the divine light within me sees, honors, loves, and cherishes the beautiful, strong divine light within you. And that is the meaning of namaste. Exactly. Well, thank you so much. Thank you so much. I really, really appreciate it. And namaste, everybody. Namaste.